Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about The Lion King and I am happy to be joined by my Disney and animation correspondent, Joe Morgan. Joe, thanks for joining me. Hey Josh, good to be here again. Yeah, it's uh feel like we got a lot of these lately and uh, as we keep talking about on these podcasts, Disney just keeps putting out these movies. So, I'm glad you happy you you lived up to your uh, title and are here to join us to talk about another one. Now, the Lion King is the third uh, Disney live action remake this year after uh, Dumbo and Aladdin and this one is directed by John Favreau who also did 2016's The Jungle Book uh, for Disney and you know, Joe, this is normally the part of the podcast where I'll like give like a brief like plot synopsis of like a movie or something like that and I feel even like less need to do it for this one than I did for Aladdin because you know this movie is at least I would say maybe like a 90% shot for shot remake of the animated movie I mean I think that's not much of an exaggeration on my part so and like who hasn't seen the Lion King because everyone saw the original Lion King multiple times probably so I don't really feel the need to like rehash a lot of the plot and stuff so i guess i'll start a little bit big picture because i feel like we've had the same conversation a lot now you know where i'll ask you hey how relevant are these movies how necessary are these movies do they need to keep doing this and you know it seems like you'd kind of come to the accept the fact that like disney's going to make these do these movies to make money and you're going to try and get as much out of them as you can but you know i feel like it's an interesting question with the lion king because you know it's a little different to do a live action remake when you know there aren't any people in your movie. So, what were your what what were you, what were your kind of thoughts just going into this experience? Were you and what were, what did you think the best case scenario was going to be to you know do a live action remake of a movie that didn't have human beings in it? Well, I would just comment that the movie was remarkably identical to the original, right? Um, in terms of story and dialogue, this one I just thought the best possible scenario was that they sort of found you know were able to pay loving homage to the moments we all remember, and then maybe throw in some new things, um, which I think they did and did not do. So it was a bit of a mixed bag for me, yeah. Yeah, you know, that was one of the things I talked about a lot on the Aladdin podcast was that, like, you know, I and, – and when I did Dumbo, I didn't do Dumbo with you, is that, like, you know, I still respected some of the different things, especially that Dumbo threw in. You know, Dumbo, like – I guess, yeah. I mean, I, my, my thing about Dumbo was, and I guess we didn't really talk about Dumbo, was that, you know, I guess it's like the 45-minute mark of that is where, like, the original movie ends, and it, it goes in this whole other direction that's really ambitious, and my really my biggest problem with it, because I liked a lot of the ideas it had, was that, like, it just made that Michael Keaton character go a little too nutso for me, and it felt like it mm-hmm. kind of went off the deep end, and it's like, man, this guy just, like, could have been an interesting villain, and just, it went too far with him, but at least they tried something pretty new. And with Aladdin, I wanted them to try more that was new, but, you know, I at least like what they did with Jasmine. 
And when I think there is a certain level of like, okay, well, you know, if you're going to cast a human being in this role and we're going to get to see them bring this character to life, like there's a certain baseline of newness you're going to get with most of these movies. But again, with The Lion King, that's not going to happen. And if anything, uh, as has been talked about other places, we're not going to be reinventing the wheel here by making this point. You know, realistic looking animals are not going to be as expressive as like animated animals. They're just not. So I feel like to like really add something by doing one of these types of movies for the lion king you probably really should have um you, sh- you should have added something to the story just to like help it stand on its own and it, they, it seems like they almost went out of the way not to do that yeah i would say that um while i respect and acknowledge john favreau's attempt to make a photorealistic documentary style uh in terms of like what the look and aesthetic of the movie it's naturally going to lose certain appealing things about it when you choose that to go in that direction so to couple that approach with not really adding anything new to the story at all um, kind of just leaves you with something that's underwhelming. I and, and we should and, t- we should say like yeah. you're, you're I, I call you my Disney and animation expert because you love these movies. You've seen them probably countless times. And even as someone that loves these movies and has a long relationship with them, it seems like you don't hold them as like some sacred text that can't be touched. Like are, I, I, it sounds like you probably saw maybe some missed opportunities. Or there are areas where you would have been like totally fine with them changing stuff up. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. The thing is, is with these live action remakes, I often find them most interesting when they take what they know about the characters in the world and do something new because for as uneven as the new Aladdin was, at least they, you know, took opportunities to try to mix things up, throw new things at us. And, you know, you can talk all day long, whether or not these things worked, you know, but at least like they were trying, you know, Dumbo is actually one of my favorites because they just like, and it was more out of necessity, but they had to create like a whole bunch of new stuff off air. We've talked about my love for, uh, David Lowry's Pete's Dragon, the Christopher Robin film, like when these when these remakes, these live action remakes, live action adaptations, whatever you want to call them in their varying degrees, uh, The Lion King's not live action. I just feel the important need to say that because a lot of people seem to be saying live action Lion King with no regard for CGI. They're more interesting when they do things that are completely different and when they are just trying to emulate the animated films. I think that's when they really do fall short. Um well, across the spectrum i'm so. glad you mentioned peach dragon because you mentioned it a lot to me and i was like I, the other night i watched like the 2015 cinderella and i was like all right man like i think i'm almost completest on these live action movies like what about oh so you watch peach dragon i was like crap I, there's another one i gotta get to so I, I went and watched that last night and i and i really enjoyed it a lot actually and i <laughs> one of the things though that I, I, I found interesting as i was watching it was like i was like man they did a pretty good job with this dragon i mean it is interesting looking to like have this dragon that's just like here amongst all these everything else being live action it's just this weird green looking fuzzy dragon but at the same time i i just found myself thinking like man this kind of shows me where like lion king had some limitations because i was just thinking about it going into lion king i was thinking back to jungle book and you know i was like you know maybe it won't be weird to watch these uh realistic looking animals talk because i don't remember having a problem with that in jungle book i didn't love jungle book but i think a lot of my problems stem from the fact that i didn't really like the kid all that much and i just got kind of annoyed hanging out with that kid i <laughs> didn't think he was the yeah. best actor and i i was like yeah but like i didn't remember specifically going into that and being like god I, I i just couldn't get over these animals talking if anything i was like wow these visuals are really cool like i didn't even occur to me that like 
yeah, of course this is all green screen because like that scenery just looks so good in the Jungle Book. So I, I was maybe like trying to pump myself up and be a little more optimistic about the Lion King and just think, you know, like maybe I'm not really missing much with these. Uh, uh, maybe I'm or maybe I'm going to be uh, f- fine with these visuals. And as I was watching it, there were maybe a couple points where I felt like, wow, this is just kind of awkward. Where most notably when Simba is yelling as Mufasa is falling to his death, and he's like, no. And I was like, wow, this looks really weird, like having like this line that cannot emote that much, having to yell, no, he's not opening his mouth as wide as someone should. And like, there are a lot of people in my theater that were like earnestly enjoying the movie and like singing along, grown adults and all that. But I even heard a, a handful of laughs at that moment. So then I was watching Peach Dragon and I was like, wow, like this dragon is really damn expressive. And it's fun just mm-hmm. looking, it's fun just looking at him. And it's like, you know why that is? Because dragons aren't real. And they they can take a lot, they can take a lot more liberties with what the thing looks like, and you can't do that when you're trying to do realistic animals that are actual animals, and that, that's just an inherent limitation you're going to have with this kind of animation or CGI or however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I completely understand how deliberate of a choice it was. I just don't necessarily think it was the correct choice. I mean, like that's all to say that you know, I mean, it's going to get nominated for all the visual effects Oscars, and I mean, it honestly will probably win because i mean you know the lip sync and dialogue aside it does look amazing and um yeah i never had no yeah but um you know that's all this like that was the choice they like very like that john favreau clung to and said this is like what we're gonna do i don't think that's that that was necessarily the right well it's interesting that you put it that way as far as just like a look did look great and you know what i mean Again, I've, I, I feel like I'm not I'm not the first to make this point either. But there were a couple of sequences that I really was actually pretty taken with, you know. And but they were the ones where there weren't words and there wasn't dialogue. Yeah. The, this, mm-hmm. I, the, like the circle of life sequence. Like I, I can't disagree with anyone that says that might be as powerful as it was in the original. And there really is very little. If I don't know if there's any dialogue at all, you might have hear like one thing where someone says this is Simba or something. I I can't. I'm not sure, but like they're very little. And then, you know, a lot of people have like made fun of the sequence with Simba's hair that gets all the way to Rafiki and him realizing oh. Simba's alive <laughs> and how it gets caught in the draft poop. But like, I, <laughs> I didn't think that was like bad. I thought it was like, wow, this is actually like kind of interesting. Look at the, this ecosystem. And I, I was like, oh, yeah. this is different. And I, I mean, I, I can't begrudge anyone that wants to make fun of the fact that like a, big piece of giraffe poop like played an integral role in the plot but like i thought well like, wow this is like actually kind of an interesting showing not telling kind of thing that feels kind of distinct from the original movie and it's just a cool moment and because there are so few of those it almost stood out even more yeah it was one of my favorite things about the movie because uh they very intentionally like took that photorealist approach so if they sh- they showed like a very accurate at least in my knowledge or understanding like a uh, representation of the circle of life and how a tuft of lion hair would make its way to Rafiki. Whereas in the animated film, if I remember correctly, it was a little Rafiki uh, almost figured it out a little too easily. But anyway, yeah, I couldn't remember exactly That's how he yeah. did it in the original one, but I knew that was like, at least, you know, one thing that was different. So, but again, like, I feel like we've already touched on almost like the extent of most of the stuff that was kind of uh, uh, that was kind of different you know i think one thing that was also kind of small but different i wanted to ask you about was like uh the way the movie used the hyenas and mm-hmm. uh i think they they do run from them in the original when when they first go to the elephant graveyard correct but like here i think it like imp- it more like strongly like implies some long history between the hyenas and the lions 
and mm-hmm. you know, and then Scar kind of takes them upon uh, or uses them for his team, and then they're there. Whereas, like, uh, they're they're just all of a sudden with Scar in the new one, and you kind of see what some of their motivations, like, might maybe kind of possibly are in this one, but it doesn't really seem to want to like go too far down that rabbit hole. Uh, were there anything, whether it be those hyenas or something else, was, was there one area where it was like, you know, like I, I feel like they could have really added this story and here's like one place where I wish they had, a, they would have focused a little more. I, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the hyenas because I think that was one of the better parts of the movie, just in terms of how they're introduced and how they're used. Because, um, if you watch the original Lion King and you don't, you really think about it, the hyenas are kind of just othered in the pride lands. And they're really, at least in my understanding, there's no real reason for it. They just kind of hang out in the shadowy places with, uh, with scar. And, you know, I mean, you have your general, uh, interpretation of what hyenas are in the larger animal kingdom outside the context of the movie, but it's like, why are the hyenas specifically like in the shadowy places? So like, you spoke to that implied history between the hyenas and the lions. And that's something that I'm glad was, uh, uh, spoken to here. Right. And I don't know if I want to like, I, I, I want to be, uh, a little careful not to like overanalyze these movies or, you know, create too many expectations that they should have had to meet. Cause in the end they are kids movies, but you know, I think the best, the best of these movies that you and I have talked about so much that they, they, they are the best because they are able to like have, content for adults to dig into but also like be appealing to kids so i i maybe i shouldn't feel too bad about like being too hard on them but one thing i thought about a lot was like you know like it seems like the lion they're the king of all these animals and even like technically they're the king of the zebras and the zebra like we're supposed to see all these you know we're supposed to see all these animals that are you know gather around the lions it's but but then like we even they even talk within the course of the movie about how the lions eat the zebras so it's like okay well you know i guess the zebras are like cool enough with the lions to like be ruled by the lions and Mufasa is king, but at the same time, like the hyenas, they like to kill things and then therefore they're the bad guys. It's like, wait, well, the lions eat people yeah. too that they're the kings of. And I'm like, you know, like it, maybe like that's one area to, like we could have at least talked about a little bit is just like how this hierarchy works. Uh, mm-hmm. what, like everyone just like falls in line. And is there some reason why everyone falls in line like that? Where are all the other male lions? Like, is that a thing that we can talk about? Instead, we just have like 20 female lions that all look exactly the same, just like sitting there. And then there's Scar, Mufasa and Simba in like no other males. I'm I'm just kind of like thinking like, you know, like, I don't know what the best way to done that would have been, but maybe we could have, you know, interrogated that a little bit and being like, why do all these animals fall in line? Why are the hyenas outcasts? Like you were saying, you know, it's like all of a sudden if, if, if they get to eat anything, you know, everything is just going to fall apart. I, I don't know. It's like, it, it just seems like there, there, there's certainly plenty of meat on the bone there for them to have, you know, uh, pulled a few other threats. Yeah, certainly. And I think that they could have more, uh, they could have definitely, delved more into the circle of life because it's such a big theme of like the original and in this one, the circle of life. And, you know, as you mentioned, like, you know, the, like the lions eat the antelopes and, and when the lions die, they turn it to the grass and the antelopes eat the grass and that's the circle of life. Yet like the hyenas hunting is somehow frowned upon. Like it's definitely something that is a bit unexplained in the first movie, but there's never that much attention drawn to it. So you don't really think about it that much. And then, 
there may have been an opportunity here to explore that a bit more. Yeah, you um, know what? I'm not sure if they. Yeah. I don't know if it's underexplained in the first movie, but like maybe something I'm just not as clear on and don't remember all that clearly is Scar's motivations overall. Like, I mean, he's motivated by jealousy of Mufasa clearly, and he's mm-hmm. he's he's somewhat motivated by just uh, he wants power. He wants to you know be able to indulge himself whatever he wants. He doesn't want to be limited in what he can hunt, and we know that. But we don't actually exactly know like you know. Uh, what his overall philosophy on ruling is, just that he thinks he should be the one to do it. And I think it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to disparage Scar as like a Disney villain. It's pretty amazing how deceitful he is and uh, how you can have a, a character that like is that tricky and sneaky and deceitful in, in, in a children's film and, have, and pull that off. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's just very. I do think it's it's a little thin, and you know he could be, and it's just like you know he's just going to convince Simba of something and get him to run away, and then all of a sudden you come back and like, uh, what what did Scar do? I was reading the I think the the exit survey on the Ringer earlier. It's like what exactly did he do that just like sucked the place out of all of its color? You know. It's so like, one yeah. So one thing they mentioned in in this remake that really isn't spoken to in the original, or at least not in my memory is, uh, like, uh, they talk about like scars, just like you can hunt as much as you want to the hyenas and stuff. And then it, it, they end up over hunting and like, uh, right. driving all life out of the pride lands. And I'm like, Oh, like that's like kind of interesting. And then they just don't really <laughs> explore it at all. It's just almost like a throwaway. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I noticed that too. And I was like, huh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, they, they, like you said, they do take the time a little bit to talk about like what happens when they, they eat the antelopes or, or whatever or something like that. And then like uh-huh. how, how that kind of has its own circle of life thing. But it doesn't exactly say like just because they can eat a lot of zebras, why have the pride lands all of a sudden turned gray? Like I, 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 I don't yeah. know exactly how that works. And then I, I'm, I, it's funny that I, I, I happen to bring that to color because, you know, the other thing is that, you know, when Simba goes off and he's hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa, it's like, man, that stuff looked really beautiful. I'm like, yeah, like, I, I, I mean, I get it. Like he, uh, Simba has learned that like, you know, Scar or, or that Mufasa is always going to live on in him. And he has the duty to kind of take after his dad and um, there, there, he has to can't forget his family, all that. But like the same time, like pride rock, rock looks pretty shitty and Timon and Pumbaa look like they're having a lot more fun. Um, yeah. And it looks like, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have cursed on them. We're talking, we're on the Lion King podcast. I need to control myself a little <laughs> bit, but like, but, but, but I mean, you know, it looks really cool where they are. It's like, man, I, why, why doesn't he just bring all the lions over there? You know, I, I, I also had that thought. And I, I mean, that's maybe not that important of a question to answer, but it's certainly a thought that crossed my mind. Because again, this movie is very beautifully visually. So, um, yeah. No, it's like Timon, Timon and Pumbaa, like, it's very noble of them to go help Simba, but they should help Simba and then go back to their place. <laughs> they should 100% go home. <laughs> it looks so much cooler there. But uh, so what would right, but you come visit. You come visit. Right, like, right. Or, but I should ask then, what did you think of Timon and Pumbaa? Because, I mean, I think that might have actually been the highlight of the movie. And it seems like yes. uh, these filmmakers smartly were like, you know, we're going to keep like everything the same. But if nothing else, we'll at least allow Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen to like have a little bit of fun and uh, go off script. I mean, I'm not saying the improv, but like at least give them something else to do that felt a little distinct from the original movie. Yeah, Timon and Pumbaa rescued the movie for me because uh, we get through the part, you know, watching the movie, we get through the part where, you know, Mufasa dies and Simba runs away and everything looks beautiful and um, you've kind of followed the story beat to the original. You've lost some things and the sort of photorealist adaptations of these great song numbers from the original. 
And then, then Timon and Pumbaa come in, and they're just so delightful together. And specifically, Billy Eichner, which, you know, there's been that joking movement on Twitter that this is Billy Eichner's, there should be an Oscar campaign for Billy Eichner's Timon. But I don't think it's that far-fetched, because he's obviously the best part of the movie, and he is wonderful. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I thought they were the best part of the movie by far. Yeah, yeah. And when Billy Eichner can sing, I, too. Yeah, that's the thing. He, Seth Rogen, not so much, but I still enjoyed Seth Rogen. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I did for sure. But yeah, Billy Eichner can sing, and he's funny, and he paid, I think, great homage to Nathan Lane's performance as Timon, which is pretty great in itself, you know? You know, Timon and Puma are my favorite part of the movie. And if I recommend it to others who, the, the others who somehow haven't seen the Lion King remake, right? I feel like everybody in our generation saw it. But yeah, just like... Uh, Billy Eckner's Timon was the best part of the movie. Absolutely. I, I, I'm ashamed to admit that like it didn't actually like hit me at, in the moment, but like, were you offended by the fact that they sang, can you feel the love tonight during the day? <laughs> yes. I, I, not only is the song called, can you feel the love tonight? But there are several lyrics that mention evening and it happens in broad daylight. I just, you know, I'm not like, I'm not the kind of person who sits here and nitpicks movies and decisions. Like I, I really don't feel like I do that. But that just felt odd, you know. And I it was like a cl- it was a choice, obviously. But I don't exactly yes. know why. Well, I mean, I guess you know, there's the meme of Nala from the original movie where she looks very DTF. Look it up. I'm not going to say it. And <laughs> um, and then they make this very deliberate decision to make it daylight during the song. And I wonder if she's Disney's like we're going to remove any sort of insinuation or implication that they are having sex. I think that's basically Disney did not want to refer to any but, sort of, but you just called it, you just said it, it's an insinuation, you know, like a little five-year-old's <laughs> not going to be able to like make the logical leap in their head to that. You know, it's something adults could get and kids cannot. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure like, I never even really thought about that myself, but it's like, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I feel like you got to have things that can like kind of uh, adults can pick up on that kids can't or whatnot. Uh, I should ask like uh, as far as something like that, as far as being it for adults versus kids, like you know, like were, were the little kids like scared in your movie at all? Like, did, do you think having these realistic images made it a scarier product than the original? So to go back to the hyenas, yeah, I thought one of the most inspired things they did was the hyena chase of Simba and Nala when they're going through the tunnels in the ground and the hyenas are like popping their heads right. through random holes. I thought that was like a really visually interesting, fun, cool thing to do. Um, but then I was listening to the Big Picture podcast from The Ringer and mm-hmm. they mentioned like, oh, that must have been really scary for children. And I'm like, wow. That's something I didn't even consider because, A, I'm just a Disney fan and I don't think about the children aspect of it because I don't have any children. And, B, the show I went to was like at 930 at night. So um, there weren't a ton of kids there. But I was like, wow, that probably would have been really terrifying if you're seven years old. And watching okay, true. Game. So I, I, went, I, I stupidly went to a, a 7 o'clock showing on a Friday night. So there were plenty of little kids at mine. And I so I had to deal with that. Though I think there were more adults singing than kids. But for some reason, yeah. like there, I was in the third, the third chair from the right from the aisle, and the chair to my right was empty, and then the chair on the aisle was occupied by like maybe like a nine-year-old girl or something. I was like, why did their parents just like sit her here and have no one next to her? But she was like scared. I think even before they started popping out of the holes, just like looking at the hyenas. So I mean, I guess like that shows they did something well. I guess that they could scare little kids. I mean, they did a pretty good job of that just by the way those realistic things look but you know um 
I don't know if that should be like uh, an, an aim of a movie like this to scare, but it at least shows that like if that was their goal, they did a good job of it. I don't know, but like I was just curious uh, what the reactions kind of were for you and. I, I can certainly see like how uh, they were talking about the big picture, how, you know, this could just be like scary for little kids. Uh, and sorry, I want, I want to go back for one second to um, mm-hmm. the Timon and Pumbaa segment of the movie. I forgot. Is there area? Is that does that have a name for where they live? I can't remember. Uh, not that I know of. No. Okay, I want to make sure I wasn't like forgetting something like really obvious. But anyway, like when they're there, one thing I also thought about, you know, Maybe this is a a dumb thing to ask them to do because it is kind of like an iconic shot in the original where they're seeing Hakuna Matata and all of a sudden Mufasa or all of a sudden Simba is like old and has Uh grown. However, I I don't know how much time is supposed to pass. One thing I thought was like, yeah, I get it. They kind of want to recreate that shot where all of a sudden he's older in the middle of that song. But I thought like, Uh hey, could they have done like 15 minutes on like Simba growing up or something like that? Like that's a very big part of his life where all of a sudden now like – I guess he's just been indulging in this hedonistic lifestyle for at least a handful (laughs) of years. And like all of a sudden he's a different person, uh, not person. He's a different being now. Like, should we, should we be, um, I mean, do we want to know like how he became the, the, the grown up lion he became? I don't, I don't know. That was a thought I had was like, could they not had him like all of a sudden become a grown up in the middle of Hakuna Matata and spent like, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes on teenage Simba. Would that have been something you would have been interested in? Yeah, certainly. I, I think that's a very good point. And one thing I'll add to that too is like, you know, in, in both versions of the Lion King, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'll just say, uh, Nala comes back, says the Prylands are in trouble. And then Simba's like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then like he talks to Rafiki and is like, all right, yeah, I, I see my father in the clouds. I'm going to go back. And it's like, you know, you could have maybe hinted like if you were to hypothetically spend 10, 15 minutes exploring Simba's adolescence with uh, Pumbaa and Timon as his, you know, adoptive parents, if you will, I guess, if you could call that relationship uh, parent child, <laughs> um, you could have even it's like, like fo- his- foster brothers, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the foster brothers. There we go. Um, I wonder if there was just something that could have showed maybe that Simba was conflicted about leaving his past life behind, or maybe, there's something about the Hakuna Matata philosophy that maybe unlocks something in the Maybe he's hungry for a nice zebra every now and then and his stomach growls and he's like, oh shit, I got to go back to eating a bug. I don't yeah. know. Something <laughs> just like reminded him of how, how things used to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, cause Simba pretty, uh, you know, Simba experiences a great trauma and probably blocks that out, you know, which I'm sure is a completely normal and, you know, relatable reaction. But, uh, yeah, just there's this complete disregard for his past life, you know, for the longest time. So before knowledge just happens to find them, you know. So, you know, maybe maybe they could have explored that a bit more, which I would have been in favor of because I love when these remakes do something else or try something different. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Nala, too, because, you know, we haven't actually talked about the voice performances yet. And I am actually not going to have a ton to say, as interesting as I think this cast is. I mean, we talked about uh, Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner, but, you know, I mean, we haven't mentioned Beyonce. And, like, that was obviously a very big deal to get Beyonce to uh, be in your movie is just a big deal in and of itself. But, I mean, she apparently the scene where she obviously is kind of escaping from Pride Rock and hiding from the hyenas, I guess that's not in the original. But other than that, she's not really given a whole lot to do that's not in the original. And, you know, that almost seems like a missed opportunity where along the lines of how Aladdin gave Jasmine more to do, why doesn't uh-huh. this give them – why don't they give Nala more to do? And maybe if you have – give her more of a storyline, you give you could create the space for her to have a, 
I don't know, more of a song than what they ultimately give Beyonce. I, I, you knew they were going to have a song for Beyonce. And I honestly like think I just missed it. It was so forgettable in the movie that I was like, wait, Beyonce had to have had a song. Because I know they're not going to have Beyonce and not have Beyonce's song. And I just like couldn't right. even remember it right after I saw the movie. And it's like... If she has like a, her own storyline of like maybe maybe you do see exactly what Scar's doing like I, and I'm not trying you can't make the Lion King a three hour movie I don't know it's not my job to edit this movie and cut stuff out but again we're asking them to do a few things differently and you, who knows you could have ten minutes of adolescent Simba and maybe ten to fifteen minutes of Nala hanging out with Scar at, at Pride Rock as he is doing whatever he is doing to suck the life out of that place and you can see her reactions to it and how she and the other female lions are fighting against it or what they're thinking about it or something like that and, and it just gives mm-hmm. her a little more agency as a character and that would have been just a different thing they could have done to more fully utilize the fact that they had Beyonce in their movie yeah I absolutely agree and I wish they could have done more but I guess whatever they would have done would have undercut Simba coming back you know what I mean it's right. like because Simba comes back and rescues the the pride. If you, yeah, I guess yeah, pride's the right word, right, for mm-hmm. a group of cats. <laughs> uh, yeah, because like I I think about it because uh, yeah, I mean like really the lioness is outnumbered Scar, you know, and uh, it may not it would have been pretty easy to maybe talk the hyenas into turning on Scar, but I don't know. See, now I'm just sitting here speculating. So uh, that's all I'll say. Like I I did really like her escape scene, you know, because I thought. Like that was something new and it was something cool. And it really, um, it was a really noble thing of Zazu to like rescue Nala there. Yeah. And, Zazu uh, was pretty brave, huh? Yeah. Right. Like, like I, I, I mean, I just didn't remember him being like that brave of a character. You know, he like, he really saves, uh, Nala and Simba from the hyenas at the beginning too. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just didn't remember him like being like that, that down for the cause. Yeah. Props to Zazu, man. He's, an unsung hero of the flying. Do you have any thoughts on how John Oliver did? <laughs> I love John Oliver, so he can do no wrong for me <laughs> in terms of performance and uh, what he puts into the world. Um, I wish they had let him rip a bit more. You know, I feel like they kind of gave him the same, the, like the same lines that Rowan Atkinson does in the original. So it would have been nice to let John rip a bit more because you know he's obviously very funny. Um, but you know, I thought he was good. Like I, I thought it was like great casting when they did it. And, um, yeah, he did the best he could with what he had, I think. Do you think, um, do you think it was funny that uh, John Connie, who did the voice of Rafiki, actually, you know, like he played T'Chaka in Black Panther, right? And, and and it's like in Black Panther, it has a scene that's like, you know, very much resembles the Simba Mufasa uh, <laughs> in the water scene where, you know, um, where T'Challa goes to the ancestral plane and is like talking to his dad. And then like here, all of a sudden, the guy that plays his dad is playing Rafiki and bringing a lion to like a thing of water to talk to his dead dad. I, 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 I that's one thing like I'm here, like we're here referencing all these other podcasts and everything like that. And I feel bad just because it's like I've consumed all this content and I can't help but use it as reference points. But no one has mentioned that at all. I just think it's kind of I just think that's it's kind of funny. <laughs> I didn't even realize that in the moment or in the, or in like the immediate aftermath of watching it. So I'm really glad that you entered that into my world because that's actually really awesome. So I, mean, <laughs> I guess that's a cool bit of a uh, Disney Marvel corporate yeah. synergy there that he is involved yes. in both of those scenes. But uh, that's, I don't know. This is something else that's fun to think about if, if nothing else. Cause again, like that scene is still like basically a shot for shock remake of the original. So I, I don't feel like you and I have like a whole lot to like analyze about this movie. We've talked you know, beyond that, you know, it, 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 that's just a funny coincidence, but you know, like, 
Yeah. There's only so much you can say when it just like it, it, it mimicked the original in so many ways. We've said what we wish they had done differently. We talked about the few things it did do differently, and most of the rest of it's the same. I mean, did you have any other thoughts on like that the final sequence where you know Simba does come back and defeats Scar? Um, I thought they did a slightly better job of. So um, in the original Lion King, one of the things is like Simba didn't kill Mufasa, right? And I think it's all kind of based off this misunderstanding and circumstances of what happened. Right. Cause like Simba didn't kill me fossil like that. That, that didn't happen. You right. Know? Like, I, don't, I don't remember how I, they explained that away in the original, but like, what do all these other people think that scars told that? Like that, like Simba's responsible that like this little cub, like, how dare he get lost in a stampede. Therefore he can never show right. his face again. Like, I don't know what these other people are supposed to think about. <laughs> right. Like I just think at very worst, it's this horrific, careless accident made by a child. Like, so like it's, it's horribly tragic, but like, it's not oust Simba from the pride bad, you right. know, at least not in my understanding. And I think it's one of the big, like hanging questions from the first one. So, I mean, scars lie that he couldn't get to the gorge in time i thought was a nice way to kind of flesh that out a bit more at least so we have a bit more of an idea of like how everything went down you know what i mean right right um still i'm just like you know Simba was just a kid you know like just a cub like i i don't think you know it would have been horribly unspeakably tragic like like i'm trying to just think of in the context of the pride and everything but that's not the kind of thing you're like oh well simba obviously like can't be king anymore you know i don't know i'm sure worse things have happened and you know in in the history of monarchies and the children have still assumed the throne i don't know but uh yeah that's all to say uh the final sequence yeah i mean i thought it was fine it was just like the original one yeah again that's that's that that's kind of the (laughs) the problem with this movie you know like it has it has like you said it has a few great sequences it looks great but at the same time you know like they you you would hope they would have just been a little more ambitious it's hard to see exactly like what what the harm is and just going for something a little different because it's it's just weird doesn't feel like as much of a creative accomplishment when you don't really go out there and and just try a few things just to try them, you know, and just hope and, and hope for the best. Like you got to know, like when you have a piece of intellectual property, like the Lion King in your hand, like there's very few things you could, they could, they could have done that would have made it. So it wouldn't, wouldn't make a lot of money. You know, I can't even think of what they could have done that would have made it. So it's, as long as you have the songs in there, people are going to go. So, uh, why, why not just try some stuff? <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I feel like we, I don't know. We talked about the songs. Like, I don't, I don't really have any, additional thoughts on that did you i i honestly don't have a lot to say on like another another famous name we haven't mentioned yet is donald glover but i mean i don't know like it's it's fine you know like i, I don't yeah. have a lot else to say about it like it didn't do anything wrong but like i i don't think yeah. it's, i don't think it's a voice performance that is really capable of elevating the movie in and of itself and i'd say the same about james earl jones like it's like i'm glad that guy's still alive it can lend his voice to this but like i don't it's, it's not like he's really doing anything we haven't already heard before you know Right. Yeah. I mean, like James Earl Jones was great, but I mean, at best he was looking at just equaling how, cause I, I do think he's, he's like, he's fantastic as Mufasa in the original. Like he just has such a commanding presence and really seen, knew the character and knew what the movie was going for. And he's outstanding in that regard. And also like to be the voice of Darth Vader and to, and to like completely, you know, take on a whole new voiced performance to, uh, be Mufasa, who's just such this beloved figure, you know, like, uh, 
people don't talk enough about how great J.E.J. is as Mufasa in the original Lion King. So people do talk um, a lot about yeah. how great Jeremy Irons is in it, though. Too like, did you think? Uh, yes. Ch- did, did you did you like Chiwetel Ejiofor's version of Scar? I really like Ejiofor, and I thought he did the best he could. But just Jeremy Irons is just so iconic in that role. Like it was just going to be hard to, you know, and especially for someone like me who's just who's watched the original so many times. Um, like Jeremy Irons, like is fantastic in it. And, uh, edgy of four, like he did, I mean, I thought he did a great job, but he, you know, it's just, it's difficult, you know, to do what, uh, Jeremy Irons did with that character. So, yeah. Do you have any other, uh, final thoughts? Um, I love the BR guest homage cause. Oh, you know, right. I forgot about they, that. Yeah. Yeah. To, to Mo doing the BR guest homage was pretty great. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a thing. <laughs> Yeah, because um, in the original movie, if you don't remember, Zazu is like in a little bone cage, a rib cage, literally, I think, of a right, dead right, animal. Right. And he starts thinking it's a small world, which is kind of like a head tilt, like uh, pop culture reference in the middle of, uh, you know, talking animal uh, Africa, you know. And uh, I thought that that at least spiritually uh, paid off to that moment. And uh, I thought it was a fun thing. I so. forgot about that moment and of course, in the original, but I did get Billy a kick Billy Eichner can sing. Yes. So. Uh, yeah no I, I do think it's a cool moment for billy eichner just to be getting so much praise for this almost more so than anyone involved even beyonce because like i mean I, I like him as a person whenever i like i hear him in interviews and stuff but like i thought he wasn't like i don't really think he fit in on parks and rec i, I and I, again i'm that's not that's not an, an original take by any means but like i'm of the of mind that like it just it seemed a little forced and out of place, and that's maybe my favorite show sitcom of the decade. So that that was unfortunate, and uh, I, I mean, I like Billy on the Street whenever I see it. And I just haven't seen very much other stuff that he's in, so it's kind of cool that he's having this kind of moment. Um, and I was, uh, and I'm very happy for him. And I just wish the rest of the movie had been as good as he was. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess. I guess the last thing I'll ask you, Joe, is like, I don't know. What, what's the next one of these on the books? It's uh, what it's gonna be uh. Lady the Tramp um, for Disney Plus, right? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. um, I guess they're uh, we got the Little Mermaid that that that, that news broke a couple weeks ago. And right. um, is there another one that's coming up before then? I mean, how, are, do you have any other thoughts on just the current state of Disney's live action stuff or whatever you want to call what Lion King was? Uh, well, we had the Mulan teaser, which looks really right, cool. Right, I forgot about and, that. Yeah, that, that, that does look um, good. That's- yeah, that, that's one I'm particularly excited for because I think it was a very deliberate choice by Nikki Cara, who's directing it, to go away from some of the animated stuff. And I'm just like, yes, please, like, um, you know, go for it. And my whole thing with these is they're kind of running out of material of, like, of the properties that people would care about the remake. And that's with all due respect to some of the other lesser-known titles in the animated library, but... Like, uh, I think they're going to do, I think, I think there might be a Pinocchio one in like the early stages of production. Right. And yeah. Will they do a sleeping beauty? I don't know. Um, I just wonder how much Maleficent encroaches on that, you know, if they have that certain mythology they're trying to uphold or whatever, but um, it was Maleficent two coming later this year. I guess they have snow white. They could do a more, yeah, more straightforward snow white uh, as opposed to like the, the stuff they'd done in the last few years, uh, with all the huntsman stuff. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I guess it's just, you know, I feel like we've pretty well explained what we want out of these movies. You know, we want them to uh, find different flourishes and different character beats and different plot points that they can add that still feel that capture the spirit of these originals. And, you know, I feel like we, we have the proper perspective that, like, these movies are going to happen. We just got to, you know, hope they 
make him more interesting uh, than what the Lion King was, you know? Yeah, I guess the next I guess the next step for these would be the sequelization of the ones that we've already gotten, which I do think would actually be interesting because it would be um, it would actually give them space to kind of play around with the characters and do something new, you know? Right, because um, I guess I think we we might have even talked about this a little bit when we did um, Toy Story four and just how uh, like that was the first real animated movie to really put out sequels that were as far that weren't direct to video, whereas a lot of these live action right. remakes we've been talking about like. Their animated counterparts did have direct-to-video sequels that no one really probably remembers all that well. So you can, yeah. you have a lot of license to do whatever you want if you really want to make a put out more movies in theaters. Uh, oh, for sure, you know, and yeah, and I think Favre's attached to Jungle Book too. I'm not sure how realistic. I'm not really? sure how plausible that is right Dude, now. It's but. like, dear bro, don't you want to like? Could make another a real live action movie at some point, you know? Like, didn't you really like yeah. doing Chef? I like Chef. I mean, yeah. Do you want to go make another indie movie, cool little indie movie, live action like that? And that you have enough money now that you can probably fund it yourself. I don't know. Give me Chef too. I'll take Chef too. He's been spending uh, the last like eight years of his life in a freaking green room, and he only yeah. comes out to like appear as happy in the Iron Man, Spider Man movies every now and then. Like, come on, bro. Like, go do something else with your time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, good for John Favreau, though. He deserves to do whatever he wants. But, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad we at least, like, brought that up and just, like, as far as just, like, a thought for where Disney can go. And uh, as we mentioned on Toy Story 4, I guess, like, at least the, the Pixar wing of things, like, it seems like they're going to get back to, like, doing some more original programming. So, uh, yeah, Disney, by all means, you can make more of these, fine. But, like, hopefully they kind of follow Pixar's lead on that, too, I would think, and maybe give us a few new, fun, you know, original movies. I say that when the next time we might be talking might be to talk about Frozen 2. So uh, (laughs) I I shouldn't drone on and on about the the idea of that for too long, I guess. So, uh, um, but, yeah. All right, Joe, before we sign off, anything you want to plug? The first place Atlanta Braves who have just lost the Kansas City Royals, so not feeling too good about that. And uh, oh, just since we've been yeah. here, the Phillies have gone to extra innings, so maybe they'll gain a game on the Braves. Uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, yeah, Joe's going to plug the Braves because they really need his uh, publicity. I'll plug. Of course, uh, I'll, of I'll plug my Twitter feed at Josh Urnovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O I, and uh, my letterbox is the same thing. Podcast Twitter, Rewind Movie Pod. Everyone, follow that. Uh, coming up next week, we'll have a podcast on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So everyone stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.